Good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you this morning, and welcome to uh, any guests we might have with us or anyone uh, joining us on the live stream. We're glad you could be with us in that way. How are we all doing this morning? Are you doing okay? We're not. We're not doing okay. Well, that's, that's okay. Uh, we're here at church because we're not okay, so you're in the right place. Uh, if you would, turn in your copy of Scripture to Hebrews 2. We're going to continue our series in Hebrews this morning. I'm going to say while we're uh, turning there, just a thank you to everyone who joined us for the marriage conference yesterday. Uh, it was, uh, my wife and I haven't, haven't gone to very many marriage conferences, but it was the, the best one we had gone to. And um, uh, I don't know, they, they just end up being cheesy uh, a lot of the time. And I was telling Michelle on the way home that it was uh, it was more meat and, and less cheese, just in the sense of, right, like, there's some practical things. Uh, they were going pretty quick, but there's a lot of, like, practical stuff that was uh, easily applicable, or, or we had some good takeaways, and it wasn't too cheesy. There was still just, just a little bit, right? Um, so thank you for, for everyone who came out for that, and, and hope that it was a blessing to, to you guys in your marriage. And if you uh, liked that format, um, want us to see more of that or would, would like to see a parenting version or something like that, would love to, to hear your thoughts or, or feedback on, on that sort of a thing. Like I said, we are continuing our series in Hebrews, starting in chapter 2. And if you remember last week, we were talking about angels. But the point wasn't, oh, let's learn a lot of cool facts about angels, even though there's a time and a place for that. The point was, hey, angels are pretty great in all of these ways, and yet, look how much greater Jesus is, right? He is not created. Angels are. He's all-knowing. They're not. He was given greater honor, etc., etc., all these different ways. And in some ways, what we talked about last week kind of leads to what we're talking about this morning. Remember those chapter and verse divisions weren't there originally, and sometimes it's kind of an artificial division, right? So what we're, what we're talking about now, there isn't really a break between chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's, it's kind of one continuous thought. So I uh, titled this morning's message, Stay Close, because in verse 1, we kind of have this thesis statement, or kind of this main point of pay much closer attention. Our passage says, angels declared a message, and you believe them. How much more should you believe and trust in all areas of your life the message that Jesus brought us? That's, the, the, that's why verse 1 starts with, therefore, therefore, having talked about all this stuff, how much more should you pay attention to Jesus and what he declared to us? when he was here, and to his word. And so the outline this morning is going to be three pleas from the author of Hebrews to his audience that still apply to us today. The first one, beware of drift. Second, trust the message. And third, pay attention. But before we read the passage and hear from God's word, Let's pray and just ask for his help this morning. 
Father, thank you for your word to us that we know to be reliable and we know that we can trust it. And how we've seen that to be true in our lives that when we applied it rightly, it's trustworthy and reliable. Help us now as we seek to understand and trust and apply your word more fully than we did yesterday. And be with me, Father, as I seek to preach your word, knowing that I'll inevitably do it imperfectly, that your perfect word would speak uh, through me and, and go out and change hearts and lives. We ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen. So hopefully you found your way uh, there by now, Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Again, I want to start this morning with the why, kind of that verse one uh, of the danger in action form. We need to pay attention so we don't drift away. And so that first point is beware of the drift. We need to beware of the drift. We're all in danger of drifting. You could picture a boat, right? What would happen if you, know, you, got, you got done for the day and you pull it up to the, the docks or you row it up to the docks? That's more my tax bracket. You row up your boat to the docks and you didn't put an anchor down or you didn't tie it to the dock and you just got off and you just left it there, right? What would happen? Well, not a, not a ton right away. It's not like a minute later it would be in the middle of the lake. But gradually over the time, if there isn't anything holding it there in place where it needs to be, it's going to drift away. And what happens when it drifts? Bad things, right? It's either going to run aground somewhere else, it's going to run into someone else's boat, or if it was uh, the ocean, eventually at some point you would just lose it, right? It would be so far out to sea you would never find it. Bad things happen when we let it drift, and that drift is subtle. And it's the same in our lives. The drift is subtle. It's a, a little compromise over here, a little, just a little bit of laziness, a little bit of not taking our sin very seriously. And then all of a sudden, we're shocked when there's this big moral failing, or we haven't been to church more than once this month, that didn't just happen overnight. We were subtly drifting. Church family, we need to be aware of this drift. We'll talk about it more in the, the paying attention point and the last point there, but, but now is your wake-up call to be aware of the drift. We can't let ourselves drift. We know this 
uh, intuitively in relationships. Can you tell we just came off of a marriage conference yesterday? Right, your marriage, right? Part of the point in, in the, the conference was, okay, you've tied the knot and now you need to uh, tighten the knot. Why is that? Because none of us have met or none of us have had that relationship where, you know, you invest in it and then and invest and invest and then after a certain amount of time and a certain amount of effort, all of a sudden it's just great and you no longer have to work at it anymore, right? None of us have ever had that experience. Now, we might have a, that friend who, you know, you haven't seen him for, for five years and you get back together and it's just like, you know, they never left sort of thing. But we know that relationships take effort, and when you move away from a place or you're not interacting with someone regularly, if you don't put forth that effort, what happens? You drift away, right? You kind of just drift apart. No one decided that. It just kind of happens. And our relationship with God is no different. You never arrive at a place where you're like, I don't need to think about this. I don't need to put forth anything, any effort. Relationships take work. It takes attention. And if we let something like a boat drifting away be important to us, because it could be very costly, right? If we lose our boat or harm someone else's boat, how much more should we pay attention to our drift in our relationship with God? Or our drift in our belief and our trust? And there's a, a similar sort of argument to that uh, in the passage. But to understand that, we need to understand the message that's being talked about. And what I'm proposing this morning is that there's actually two different messages being talked about. The one Jesus proclaimed in verses 1 and 3, and the one angels proclaimed, that's talking about in verse 2. So what are these? What, what message is it that Jesus proclaimed? Let's start with the easy one. And I think um, the, the Sunday school answer of, of the Bible like probably works a little bit here, or, or maybe we can broaden it to say everything Jesus said. But I think there's a special emphasis here on the message of the gospel. If we think about what the whole Bible redemptive history was pointing to, what, what Jesus' teachings were pointing to, it's the reality that Jesus died for our sins, that if we put our faith and trust in him, we might be forgiven and have eternal life. And I'm looking at verse 3, if you want to look there too, when I say that. There seems to be something special at the end of that verse, especially important about the gospel and salvation to pay attention to if we're to keep from drifting away. That's being contrasted with the message in verse 2 that the angels declared. And this is the one that puzzled me, that I had to think about uh, what was the message that angels declared um, in my what I'm going to propose or my, or my idea after studying it and kind of universally reading it across all these commentaries, even though this is an idea I'd never heard before, is that the angel's message was actually the Old Testament law and the Old Covenant. Again, I was resistant to the idea initially because when you read Exodus chapter 19 through 31, which is when uh, Israel's receiving the law, 
in the, towards the beginning of the Bible, angels aren't mentioned explicitly. And in fact, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, it seems to say that the Lord spoke to Moses directly. So, why do I think this? I have a few different passages to show you. Uh, we're going to start with Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2. We're not going to read all the context for time, but, uh, you know, seeing Mount Sinai mentioned, and then a couple of verses later, verse 4, it's talking about Moses giving the law, should be making, making you think of that specific event of Israel receiving the law. Here it is. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. In Galatians 3.19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And what? It was put in place through angels. It was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Acts chapter 7, verse 53. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. In other words, it sounds as though the Lord was speaking there, but there was tens of thousands of angels also there, which served as a sort of intermediary or delivery role and in that way mediated the law. So track with me here. Two messages, the Old Testament law, angels, new, kind of new Testament message, gospel, Jesus. And this is one of the ways knowing the original audience helps us. Um, Pastor Dave mentioned the first week that uh, the kind of primary audience of, of this letter was Jews who uh, had put their faith and trust in Jesus, become Christians. As best as I could tell, and just what I was reading, is that uh, this idea that angels acted as, as God's intermediary when they were giving the law was kind of well-known or ingrained in Jewish tradition. So the author felt no need to explain what this message was that the angels were delivering, because it was common knowledge. Everyone, everyone would have known what that message was. Right, so again, two messages, Old Testament law, angels, New Testament gospel, Jesus. Both were speaking what God had revealed to them. So knowing all that kind of background information, we can better understand what's happening in verse 2. There was a punishment for this lesser message, the law, that the angels proclaimed, right? If you think about the Old Testament there's all these rules and regulations, and all of them came with a certain punishment. Either you were unclean and you had to go, you know, you had to go to the temple and do X, Y, and Z. If you uh, were a minor, it was, if you committed a minor offense, you had to make restitution for it, you know, like giving a certain amount more than you took or something like that. And for major offenses, excuse me, offenses, the law prescribed the death penalty. So this was serious stuff, right? So follow the logic here. They're making the argument from the, the lesser to the greater. So they're saying we have this lesser message over here, and look how severe the punishment was. 
how you had to make restitution or, or you could lose your very life for drifting from this message. And now Jesus has brought us this greater message, how much more severe will the retribution be if we drift from this gospel message Jesus came to give us, if we ignore the salvation that he offers. It won't just merely be pay what you owe or even losing your life. Our very souls are at stake. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 26, nicely summarizes uh, what we've been talking about. And I, I'm sure we'll get there eventually in our sermon series, but it's so far away that you won't remember what we're talking about right now. So we're going to briefly touch, it, touch on it right now. Uh, again, starting in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a, fur a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's that lesser. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I'm not doing you any favors if I don't tell you that hell is real. And there's a, the threat of this eternal punishment and judgment and fire if you don't put your trust in Jesus it's not just our life, our very soul is at stake. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God without the blood of Jesus to cover you. So there are eternal consequences that we know, right? But there are Consequences for this life, too, for drifting away, aren't there? And many of us have seen it, maybe in our own lives, the season of drifting, maybe in friends and family. It hasn't led people to greater happiness or thriving, so that it leads to a lot of disorder and chaos. We need to be aware. We need to beware the drift and the cost. If we let ourselves drift away, is great. And that the pull, that current pulling us out to sea is great too. Again, knowing the original audience, uh, Pastor Dave mentioned they were uh, under persecution from Rome at the time. And their you know, friends, neighbors who were Jewish, who hadn't become Christians, were becoming more and more hostile toward them because of their belief. They had every reason to abandon their confession of Jesus. And yet the author is exhorting them, telling them, persevere. Just as we're called to persevere. In a place like Madison, where it doesn't win you any bonus points to believe what we believe. When there's all sorts of things we miss out on holding our 
convictions. When there's all sorts of things in life, maybe not even necessarily bad things, vying for our attention, we need to be aware of what, is those, what are those things in my life that are causing me to drift? What are those things in my life that are, is that current that's pushing me out to sea away from the shore? What is that thing? And how, how do I, what do I need to do to guard against that and be mindful of that, to beware? So to summarize our first point, two messages, right? Old Testament law, Old Covenant, angels, New Testament law, New Covenant, the message delivered by Jesus, and that the consequences are great, greater for drifting from this greater message. And that leads us to our second point, is to trust the message. Trust the message. That message, of course, being the gospel, Jesus' message. Uh, a very similar argument to the one we were talking about before, again, from, from the lesser to the greater. Um, not just to believe the gospel like you believed the gospel when you were saved, but to trust in the gospel for all the different areas of your life. Again, very, very similar argument. There was this Old Testament law delivered by angels, and hey, you audience, you Jews that believe in now in Christ, you followed this law so closely, and you trusted in this, this law so deeply, you took it so seriously, you trusted in it so much, how much more should you believe, trust, and follow this message that Jesus has delivered to us? Because, again, we just got done talking about how much greater Jesus is than these angels. And so how much greater, how much more trustworthy is his message to us? That's the idea of, of verse 2. Why, why thinks to mention that angels delivered a reliable message. That's kind of the first argument for why we ought to trust the message in all the, the different areas of our life. The second one... Um, the author uses this sort of style of argument that was more common in the ancient Near East. You see it in verse 4. This is what I'm, I'm looking at now. It's this Old Testament idea that, that things must be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And that comes from um, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6. We saw it in that Hebrews 10 passage, so he's going to go there again. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one is who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Right? The idea, of course, of, of protecting people from, oh, I don't like that guy, uh, so I'm going to make something up about him, and then he'll be put to death. Protecting him by requiring two or three witnesses. And if you remember in in Jesus' trial, they ran into that issue before the Sanhedrin. They had all these false witnesses come forward and testify about what Jesus had done, but none of them could agree. They were trying to apply the same principle. Paul continued this thinking in his instruction to the churches in his letters. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 1 Timothy 5.19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. The author of Hebrews is taking this idea and saying, this message is trustworthy and reliable and you should trust it in your life 
because it too is confirmed by witnesses in verse 4. So we had the initial declaration by Jesus. That's the Lord at the beginning of verse 4. I know the Lord could be the Father at other points. Uh, It's talking about Jesus specifically here. Then it was attested by those who heard it. And then God himself bore witness with signs and wonders and various miracles. So so when, when Jesus walked the earth and he's casting out demons and he's healing the sick, it wasn't just to prove that he was Lord over, over creation and, and over, over demons and things of spiritual realm. It wasn't just to relieve people of their suffering. That was certainly both of those things, right? But it was also a way of God saying, right, just like it happened on the transfiguration, this is my son, and what did it say there? Listen to him. Listen to him. And then depending on how you cut it, uh, but it sounds like at the end of verse 4 that the Father sent the Holy Spirit to also testify about Jesus through spiritual gifts. So if you want to count that one as a, uh, as a different one. But the, the point is, he's pointing out that the rest of the Trinity testified on behalf of Jesus that his message was true. He was trustworthy through these signs and these wonders and these gifts, as did the people that interacted with him and heard that message, attested about it as well. Now, all these kind of arguments and proofs were all about and leading us to the point of trust in Jesus and his message, the gospel message of salvation in all areas of life. I mentioned before uh, the gospel fluency growth class we're doing uh, this spring. Uh, for um, uh, One of the groups is a couple weeks behind, but um, um, most of us are, are getting ready to wrap it up here soon. Uh, but the, the whole point of the book, book was this idea of, of trusting in, in the gospel and applying it to all the different areas of your life, whether it's evangelism or your career or your family or your health or whatever it is, whatever that thing is, that makes it difficult for you to trust applying the gospel to those situations. One of the examples from the book was uh, this man who, um, his father died when he was uh, a teenager um, and then found a lot of his identity in his career and then one day gets laid off and is really struggling with it. And he admits that um, he was finding his identity in his job because he, he imagined that his father would be uh, approve of, of the work he was doing and love him because of the work he was doing. Now he could get another job, right? But companies come and go. Layoffs happen. Companies close. to to throw in a current event just for fun, right? Tech companies hire thousands more employees than they need, and then they lay them off in these huge sweeping layoffs. And no matter what, his dad will never be back on this earth. Those things aren't the solution. The solution is he needs to believe and trust that he has a heavenly father that will never leave him. 
that will love him unconditionally and that will be proud of his work, not because his work is so worthy or he'll need to do it on his own because when his heavenly father looks upon him, he will see the work of his son, Jesus. That's what it means to trust in the, the gospel in an area. And you can do that too. In the different areas of your life where you're wrestling, maybe feeling some of these same things where things aren't quite right, we can trust in the gospel and the salvation of Jesus. And that's point two, trust in the message and ultimate in, ultimately in trusting in that message and, and being aware, being aware, be wearing, drift. We need to, point three, pay attention. We need to pay attention. We need to stay close. We're coming back around to verse one, how he opened up this whole thing with, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard that is what's going to keep us. That's what's going to keep us from drifting away. That's going to be that anchor. That's going to be that rope that keeps us in the dock, that keeps us steady. It's going to be paying attention, trusting in that message that we have heard. Now, we all know, kind of intuitively, experientially, what it means to pay attention, right? It's more about applying it to our spiritual lives. If your spouse, again, marriage conference, but any, anyone you're talking to, friend, or anything like that, you're telling them about your day, and all they say is, mm-hmm, uh-huh, and they're, they're kind of on the computer, they're, they kind of keep doing what they're doing, yeah, uh-huh, sure, uh-huh. You're either going to think, or if you're a little more bold, you might say out loud, what? You're not paying attention, right? And we, and we know intuitively, we're not like, hmm, what, is, what does that mean? There's a, there's a thoughtfulness, there's a, a, a presence of mind. It, it gets part of your thought life when you are paying attention. And, and those things are absent when you're not paying attention. And I submit before you that you pay attention to what's most important to you. I'll give you a crazy example that none of us can relate to. Money, right? Now, maybe if, you have a, maybe if you have a lot of it, and maybe this is the way you know, or maybe you're just irresponsible. Uh, I was talking to someone from a different, a different church like this. Uh, he was like, um, yeah, I just kind of look, and, and you know, my bank account keeps going up every month, and so I know we're good, right? So that, that's paying attention a little bit. But if, if you are, like, strapped for cash, and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay bills this month, you are like, you know, paying attention to every dollar. Or like, you are, I can't wait for my, my paycheck to come in, right? It's, it's so important, so kind of urgent. Lots of attention is, is being put there. Why do we pay attention to the news? Because there's things about kind of current events, or we want to know if there's a did you guys see this? If there's a bear kind of like in the Madison area, like <laughs> I'd like to know so I don't go to Home Depot and, and, and see it in the tree or, or however the bear got there, um, right? We're in the news because politics and what's happening in the government and bears in our city and all these other things are, seem important to us. Why do we pay attention to social media? 
Because whether we like it or not, we really like or really care about other people's opinions about us, especially. It takes effort in, in a world where all these different things are vying for our attention to pay attention to the things that matter most. Right? There's literally infinite, not literally infinite, practically infinite number of things at our fingertips if I just whip out my phone and have internet, right? And on top of that, we have, we have family, we have work, maybe school. We're supposed to be healthy, exercise, cook, clean. And I know I'm supposed to sleep somewhere in there. And then, oh yeah, it would be good to have some like leisure time or something like that. We have all these different things vying for attention and we're doing them and doing them and then all of a sudden I get a notification on my phone and now I'm thinking about this thing, right? It's like literally designed for that. That's why it's called a notification, to get your attention from whatever you were doing. We have all these distractions to get our attention. And are we paying attention to the right thing? Or are we letting ourselves drift? There's always something else going on, some excuse we don't want to think very hard about, seems persuasive, and then all of a sudden, the, ah, we, we've only been to church uh, once this month. Or, ah, has it really been three weeks? How did, how did that happen, right? We drift. If we're not paying attention, if we're not focused on it, we drift. Pay attention. Stay close. So, really practical now, what do we do about it? Well, one other thing I want to propose to you is not just that we pay attention to what's important to us, but if we, pay, if we discipline ourselves to pay attention to something, it will become more important to us, or we'll care more about it. We'll care more about something that we discipline ourselves to pay attention to. So we'd be mindful of your Bible reading. So maybe for some of us, well, I haven't been reading your Bible, and and I would say, even though sometimes it gets a bad rap, uh, reading your Bible and praying, even if you know, you're like, man, that wasn't, I wasn't very mindful or anything, it's always better to, to discipline yourself and do it than it is to be like, well, you know, it wasn't very good, so I'm just going to not do it, right? So that's kind of like step one. But step two is, okay, I am reading my Bible, being mindful of what you're reading, right? There's times you read your Bible and you're like, one minute later, you're like, I have no idea what I just read, and I need to go back and do it again. Maybe you're like me and you need to do that multiple times. Read it closely. Compare your life against what you're reading. Where do you need to grow? Where do you see? Where do you see the drift? Where do you need to more fully trust and believe? And in reading, we're reminded that we're finite human beings and we forget. So I've, I've read the Bible every year for I don't, I don't know how many years, many, many years. And without fail, every year, there's always something that's like, how did I forget this? Or how did I miss this? That's another way we drift, we forget. We invite others in. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Again, we'll get there in a few weeks, but just real quick. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But, the solution to this, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You have blind spots. We all have blind spots, right? And if you were just 
laying out in the water with your eyes closed. It might be easy to drift and you might not even notice. But if there was someone else off on the shore that was there watching you, it would be obvious to them, right? Give someone or, or many people license to say in your life, hey, you're drifting. And three, pay attention to what you are doing and where you are going and what you are spending your time on. Not just pay attention to some things, but our, our message this morning is to pay attention to the right things. Don't just pay attention, but much closer attention compared to how the Jews paid attention to the law. And how did the Jews pay attention to the law? Well, it was really close in one sense, but maybe in a really important sense of the things that they were paying attention to wasn't very close. Right? I'm thinking about passages like Matthew 23, verses 23 to 24. This is Jesus' rebuke to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. So they have their, their little spice garden, and they're, they're meticulously making sure that they give 10% of their, their spices to, to the temple, right? Which isn't very much. It's almost like, who cares? And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, stringing out a gnat and swallowing a camel. They were neglecting the bigger things of justice and mercy and faithfulness. So are we paying attention to the big things? Or is our thought life dominated by these little gnats? Right? Are we paying attention to the camels? I, I, I um, was concerned about saying that at the end of the message because I wondered... People are going to walk away, and all they'll remember is pay attention to the camels. But if that's all you remember, that's okay, right? There's gnats and camels in our lives, and are you paying attention to the camels? Or is your thought life preoccupied with the gnats? Are there parts of it I'm neglecting or not taking seriously? Something I know I should be doing, but I am not. How am I doing with justice and mercy and faithfulness in my life? home, and my work at church? What would that even look like for me? So as we kind of uh, wrap up our time, I just want to kind of challenge us to all think about what is that step for you? So we've been talking about, about you know, beware the drift, trust the message, pay attention, What's that thing for you that you feel like God is calling you to work on? Maybe it is, and I haven't, haven't been, been reading Scripture in a long time, and I need to start doing that. Or maybe I'm reading Scripture, and I, I need to do it in a more kind of intentional way. Maybe you're being convicted of, I've, I'm drifting. I'm, I'm seeing a place I'm drifting, and I, I haven't been been doing anything about it for this reason or that reason. I haven't been coming to church as often. I haven't been taking this thing seriously. And you need to make a commitment to, hey, I'm really, I'm really going to pay attention to this. I'm not going to let myself drift in this way. Maybe you've been drifting your whole life. And you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And this morning, you need to make that choice to say, I believe that Jesus died for me. 
I believe he, he paid the price that I couldn't. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that I'm justified by Jesus' sacrifice for me, and I'm trusting in his sacrifice for the forgiveness of my sins. Maybe that's you this morning. You're in that place. Wherever you're at, pay attention. Wake up. This is too important to give anything less than our closest attention and effort. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder of there is no message like the message you brought to us. There's nothing more worthy of our attention, nothing more worthy of our thought and effort Nothing that our life should more adhere to than the truth of the gospel and the salvation you brought to us. And we confess that we haven't always done that closely. We confess that other things in our lives so often take that number one spot and all the different things vying for our attention. We can get so busy that um, it's easy to just put you on the back burner. And Father, I just ask that you would convict us to not let ourselves do that, that we would be weary of the drift and that we would always be paying attention to where you are in our hearts and in our lives and in our, in our convictions. I pray too in the, in the various struggles of life. There's lots of of valleys that inevitably will come across that we would trust in you and in your message to us and we would rightly apply the gospel to those situations and the truth of your word and in doing that we might have hope. We need your help. We can't do it all on our own. We need you. Amen.